Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. We come up today. We're thankful for that. We welcome you as always to Off the Bench presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern time. You can follow us on YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports. We always ask you, please subscribe to the program. We're also streaming on Facebook, Chatterbox Sports page there. If you'd like to join us in podcast form, by all means, just search off the bench with Tom Brenneman and you're dialed in. I'm a little hoarse today. It's only two of us here today, Paul Fritschner, just you and me. The last men standing at Chatterbox Sports. Tom, everything is, uh, looks like everything's firing on all cylinders here. <laughs> so we're on and people can hear us. That was all I was worried about. You're on your game, brother. You're on your game right from the, the get-go. Well, look, it, it's tough to swallow. There's no question about it. And it will be for quite some time. If someone would have told you that the Bengals would hold the Kansas City Chiefs to 20 points, down to the final five seconds left in the game. And the Joe Burrow in the fourth quarter would have the football for two drives in a tie game. You'd say, where do I sign up, right? I mean, that means the Bengals win. But we know the answer is and was no. Twice in the final eight minutes, Burrow had the chance and couldn't string together a drive that would lead to points to break the tie. You add in the Joseph Asai personal foul penalty on the final play from scrimmage, which of course led to the game-winning field goal, and the Kansas City Chiefs win the AFC Championship 23-20 the final. Look, whether you like the guy or you don't like the guy, it's irrelevant. Patrick Mahomes was unbelievable. 29 of 43, 326 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. He did fumble once, but no picks. The Chiefs as a team showed incredible grit and toughness. They lost three starting receivers during the course of the game to injuries, yet kept making plays when they had to make a play. Burrow, very pedestrian. 26 of 41, 271 touchdown, two picks. It's the first time, of course, in four tries that he loses to Mahomes. The offensive line early on was simply offensive. To be fair, they played with three new starters from just three weeks ago, but as good as they were against the Bills, they were that bad, especially in the first half yesterday. Burrow was sacked five times, four times in the first half where, you know, the pattern was there again. They fell behind 13-3. to Last year it was 21-3. to The officiating was bad, plain and simple. We'll get into that. I'm not into all this conspiracy theory stuff, but the officiating was really bad. I mean, really bad. They just didn't seem to have their act together the whole game. So now it's time to start asking some critical questions about the franchise. Who leaves in the offseason? Which players? Any of the coaches? Will Burroughs' contract hamstring this roster moving forward? And you have to ask a question. Can Burrow win the big one? On the NFC side, it could not have gone worse for what was the hottest team in all of football, the 49ers. Winners of 12 straight, unbeaten with Brock Purdy at quarterback. But San Francisco suffered injury after injury, committed penalty 
after penalty in a humiliating 31-7 loss to Philadelphia. It started with Fred Warner on the second play of the game. Then Nick Bosa gets hurt. But the biggest blow was to Purdy's elbow in the opening half. They then had to hand the ball to the 14-year-old journeyman, the 14-year journeyman, Josh Johnson. And that was pretty much all she wrote. It got so bad that Johnson suffered a concussion. Purdy had to come back in the game, but he couldn't throw the ball. It was sad. So the stage is set for 57, Super Bowl 57 in Glendale, Arizona. That's two weeks from yesterday. For Kansas City, their third trip to the Super Bowl in the last five years, and it was five years ago, that Philly beat Brady and the New England Patriots under Doug Peters. Other NFL news, the purge continues in Dallas, where offensive coordinator Kellen Moore will not return. He is the seventh coach on the Cowboys staff to be let go since losing to the 49ers a week ago in the playoffs. Former Denver head coach Dick Fangio, Vic Fangio, is now the new defensive coordinator in Miami. The Bengals aren't the only local team to suffer defeats over the weekend. College basketball, you got to give it up to UC. Highly competitive. Played one of its best games of the year at number three, Houston, but couldn't hold on to a double-digit lead in the second half, losing 75-69. The Bearcats play Wednesday night at home against Tulsa. And Xavier ran into the buzzsaw that is Creighton, losing 84-67. The Musketeers are in a three-way tie atop the Big East with Marquette and Providence. The Friars come to the Cintas Center this Wednesday night. Kentucky lost to Kansas at Rupp Arena, 77-68. West Virginia and Huggy Bear got a huge win. Beat Auburn over the weekend. Auburn was ranked number 15. And 11-9 Oklahoma destroyed number 2 Alabama, 93-69. All right, we've got hundreds already in the chat. And look, there are... Um, all kinds of, uh, of things to talk about. I, I want to go back, though, before the game ever started. Uh, we talked about it on this show. I, I thought the back and forth with the fans, some of the back and forth with the players was way out of line. It was just over the top. And then to add insult to injury, the mayor of Cincinnati and those comments he made last week, I mean, if you want to get into the whole good-natured ribbing with another mayor and all that kind of thing, that's been going on since the beginning of time in sports, right? I mean, it's fun stuff. You get behind your hometown team. But to bring in the whole officials who want a paternity, yeah, I mean, come on. Come on. And it just, I don't know about you, but, 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 but for me, Paul, I, I don't know if you felt the same way or whether you just took the whole thing tongue-in-cheek. When I was driving around on Friday and I heard those comments, I thought to myself, this just doesn't feel good at all. I got to be honest, Tom. I may have been more upset at AFTAB than I was at anything that happened last night because it just seemed like a scapegoat. I was so frustrated going back and thinking about that because it's such an avoidable thing, right? If you're going to trash talk, if you're going to do that from your position like that, at least be good at it. But I couldn't even make it through that entire video. It was so cringeworthy. And then to have it blown up back in your face, thrown right back at you 
on the stage at the AFC Championship game, it's just it's a tough scene. And there's there, I got a lot of thoughts on this game. We have two hours to talk about it. We have Brian Billick coming up here um, in a little bit. So I, I know that this show is going to be filled with a lot of that. But I'm not sure if Aftab was where I thought I was going to go on my first thought. But boy, did it, it really got under my skin. And we talked about it a lot here in the office on Friday. And uh, I just I can't believe he did that. And it, it's so clearly motivated these guys up you you heard from I think it was Patrick Mahomes uh, talking about how or was it Andy Reid somebody mentioned how they felt like they had never seen the Chiefs this motivated yeah and to me I was I was shocked I don't know it's just how I am that to me you you would want to let your play do the talking afterwards and I know the Bengals had beaten the Chiefs three times but to me, there was just so much buildup. There was so much trash talking on both sides. There was so much, and I know a lot of that's good natured. I'm not trying to take away from it and be a Debbie Downer here. But did the Bengals get a little bit of a reality check yesterday, Tom? I think they did. I think they did, and I think for a lot of us, and I know a lot of you are going to get upset with me asking the question about Burrow winning the big one. I mean, look, he's taken him to the AFC Championship two years in a row. Um, but this is where legacies are built. And, you know, Mahomes already had more tenure in the league. He'd already been to a couple of Super Bowls. He's the first quarterback under the age of 30 to take his franchise to a championship game all five years as a starter, and he's only 27. And you know he'll be back in another one before he's 30. Uh, but what he did yesterday, uh, look, and you can say that he was a clown afterwards. I thought that Kelsey was a complete clown afterwards. But... You know, in fairness, this whole thing had been building. Um, you know, you go back and you examine uh, the NFL film stuff. Now, to me, you know, a lot of that stuff that was said, Burrowhead and Mike Hilton and all that kind of thing, those are just teammates talking to each other on the sideline. You know, and so you can get into the whole debate about, is that something that should have been released to the public, maybe after this championship game. Yeah. Now, some would say the timing's not the same. I get it. But, you know, uh, I'm not going to sit here and beat up uh, any of the Bengals players for the stuff they said on the sideline while they were celebrating uh, the win over Buffalo a week ago because that's their domain. Yep. That's their place. Uh, and the NFL is, I'm not going to call it intruding because it, it, it's part of what makes the NFL so great is that they get players to do this kind of thing. Uh, the legacy of NFL films is just incredible. Uh, and and the, uh, the sound and bringing you inside the game or inside the huddle or you know, on the sideline, whatever it might be. You know, there are a couple of things for me during the course of the game that stand out that I just don't understand. You and I were talking about this before the game. So we'll break these two down individually. Uh, I'll mention them collectively, and we'll break them down. When the Bengals have the ball, basically the last time they had the ball, they're at the 36-yard line. You've got all the time in the world. You have two timeouts left. Okay, now look, let me preface by saying we all agree on this, okay? It might have been the greatest catch in Bengals franchise history. The fourth down, they throw the ball up top inside the five. Chase goes up top, makes a catch. 
That is a very low percentage pass and catch. But they did it. So you give it up to them. Okay? But I'm talking about now, they're third and 16. They're double teaming because of the injury to Boyd. They're double teaming Higgins. They're double teaming Chase. And they find Hurst and they get the first down. And you're thinking they're in business. The next play, they go for seven yards. So you're just inside your own 40. You've got a field goal kicker who's gotten it back together. And clearly a money kicker has proven it already in just two years. It's second down and three. You throw a deep ball. Incomplete. It's now third down and three. The last thing you want to do is give the ball to Patrick Mahomes one more time. For the life of me, I cannot understand why you are throwing a 35-yard pass down the field. A long throw on second and three, low percentage throw. A damn near impossible percentage play, third down and three. It just doesn't make any sense. Now, I don't know if Burrow checked off at the line of scrimmage. I don't know. But for me, that's not the play call. Second and three, third and three, three minutes to go in the game. And then the one, what in the world were they thinking of punting the ball to the Kansas City player where he can make a play on the ball and have a chance for a return? It is his common football 101 knowledge. In that situation, you tell your punter, punt the ball to the sideline or punt it on a low-line drive where it's going to bounce a couple of times and you don't give this guy a chance to return the ball. It, it, it just can't happen. Now, granted, it turned out to be the longest punt return the Chiefs have had this year. But they did it when they had to do it. Why would you ever allow that to happen? For him to field the ball in the air and then have a chance for a return. So let's start with the second and three and the third and three. It was clear, as I mentioned, because of Tyler Boyd that they were double teaming Chase and Higgins. I mean, it was, I mean, Romo laid it out there as good as you can lay it out there. That's what they were doing. That's why Hurst was so wide open on the third and 16. They didn't even pay attention to it. And Irwin, they, 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 they said, who cares? That's what they did. Okay. So why are you throwing the ball deep? Second and three, you have two timeouts. There's nearly four minutes left in the game or a little more than three minutes left in the game. All you've got to do is get two or three more first downs. You basically run out the clock right there. You kick a field goal. You take the lead. Then you're going to kick off, and Kansas City's going to have to go down the field with no timeouts left and try and kick a field goal. Now, Paul, I don't get it. I just don't get it. It's the difference between a three-point shot in basketball, a long three, and a layup. You'll take the layup from a percentage standpoint or a dunk all day, every day, over a three-point try. 
Yeah, it was really frustrating watching the game play out because when they go up there, it was 3rd and 14, 3rd and 16, whatever it was, where they got the completion to Hayden Hurst. And you're backed up in the shadow of your own goalpost. The offensive line is crunching in on you. Chris Jones has had an amazing day. And Joe Burrow keeps standing in there, just has to stand in, take it, stand in, take it. But they get out of their own goalposts. They get out. They get they get out enough that now you're starting to think, okay, like you said, Tom, if you get two, three, four more first downs, this game is over. And ideally, it, it's like what you said in the open. Joe Burrow gets the ball with two and a half minutes left. You're thinking to yourself, this game is over. right? This is a legacy drive for Joe Burrow. We've seen him do it time and again. He gets the ball. He goes down. He scores. He wins the game. Or if you get in the semantics of it, Evan McPherson wins the game. But to me, there was just something off last night. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but it, was, it seemed like from the beginning there was something off. And I remember last year in the Super Bowl, there was a throw early on in the game in the Super Bowl where you could tell Joe overthrew one. It was a little route out to the sideline. Um, I don't remember who the intended receiver was, but I just remember that was a pass that Joe almost always hits. And he overthrew the pass. And I remember thinking throughout the whole Super Bowl, uh-oh, he, he seems off. Yep. And I know he threw two interceptions last night, but look, one of them was basically a punt. One of them was on third down. Credit to T. Higgins for making an incredible tackle on that interception. Because yeah. in the end, that ended. I, I know it says he threw two interceptions, but that pass was going to be incomplete. It got picked off. Maybe in the end, it, it ended up working out with the way Christmas was. The way Chrisman was punting, it may have ended up working out better for the Bengals the way it, it actually happened. Um, but I, I just, it just seemed to me, and I'm not blaming this at all on Joe. I just felt like it wasn't, when he had the ball with two and a half minutes left and they got that first down, I, I still kept thinking, all right, all right, all right. But I, I don't know, Tom, there was just something off. It just felt like something that's not tangible. Something I couldn't put my finger on. I don't know what it was, but I was just sitting there thinking to myself, something doesn't feel right here. And when they punted the ball back, and then you see the return, and then you see the the late hit out of bounds, it just it all it all evaporated so fast. It felt like 2016. It felt like I was watching the 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 Jeremy Hill fumble, and then all the penalties. Yep. It felt like just deja vu all over again. And I just kept sitting there feeling helpless, thinking, man. It, even if you don't have that late hit out of bounds, I mean, that's going to be a 60-yard field goal, something like that. Yep. You go to overtime. And that's the one thing that I'll say about the the field goal at the end with Osai and everything else is that it's always really hard for me to get too upset at somebody like Osai when the game was tied because you never know. They could have kicked the field goal. They could have thrown a Hail Mary. They could have gone to overtime and lost. There's no way, there's no way in my mind I can blame Osai for this game last night, no. especially with how he played. You can't do that because it's not like the Bengals were winning by 2 and that field goal meant that they lost by 1. That's a different story because that in my mind is oh no, you you may have directly cost your team the game there because you had the lead and you made a, a, a dumb play and you, and you gave it away. But to me, in a tie game, when you go to overtime and so many things can happen in a road game, um, I, I, I just can't bring myself to put any blame on Joseph Osai or at least not enough blame to where it really matters. The overall point that I want to make from this game, though, Tom, this game has to be at home in the future. The Bengals 
are fighting an uphill battle two years in a row to have to go to Buffalo, to Kansas City, and then get back to the Super Bowl. Think about what the Eagles did. Yep. The Eagles beat Daniel Jones, and they beat a fourth-string quarterback and then a guy who barely had an arm to get to the Super Bowl. Being the one seed and being able to play at home, you, have, you, don't, there's, you, you only have to play two games, and you're probably getting an easier two games. And you get them at home. It's just asking so much for this Bengals team to have to go and play Patrick Mahomes at Arrowhead two years in a row and expect to win. It's just, it's an uphill battle. And if you're the Bengals next year, there's a lot of roster turnover here. You you probably think in the offseason, you just got to get, you got to play for the one seed next year. You got to get this game at home. Well, you know, um, there, there are just so many ways to go here, and a lot of people in the chat want to get into the officiating. We'll get into that here in a second. But I, I still say to myself, and I'm with you on Osai, I feel terrible for the kid because, uh, you know, look, he was injured last year. About midway through this year, he starts getting playing time. I think we all agree of all the defensive linemen in the game yesterday, especially as it pertains to the pass rush, Osai was the best pass rusher they had on the field yesterday. Yep. He was that good. Kid played a great game. And I just feel awful for him and seeing him sit on the sideline uh, in tears. Uh, you know, afterwards, he, he uh, if you didn't read the, the accounts in the locker room, uh, B.J. Hill basically came over uh, and started taking questions for Osai. Sam Hubbard had stepped in and said, hey, look, can you guys give this young man a little bit of extra time? Um, you know, Hubbard said that, that really at the end of the day on that scramble by Mahomes, uh, where the penalty was called on the hit by Osai out of bounds, uh, Hubbard took full responsibility of not containing his position from the outside, which allowed Mahomes to go around the corner, get over near the sideline, and then that's when the uh, penalty was called. And it was, it was a right call. I mean, it was a right call. Uh, if it would have happened to Burrow, everybody would be screaming and yelling for the same thing. Although, I still don't understand the one hit on Burrow after he had thrown the ball and the guy just knocks him right over. And Burrow turns around the official like, you got to be kidding. No call there. Um, you mean you mean the one in the end zone? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, if you're going to call it, you got to call it. And we've seen that called all year long. But you're right about the vibe from the beginning. Look. The last four games, and we talked a lot about this last week, the last four games where the Bengals are getting the ball first, they had outscored their opponents in the first quarter 39 to nothing in the last four games. They were jumping all over people, just like Buffalo last week. Touchdown on the opening drive, get the ball back, touchdown on the next drive, 14 nothing. But yesterday they get the ball first, And all of a sudden, here comes this pass rush from Kansas City. We said all along that it was going to be a far bigger task facing this front seven than it was with Buffalo minus Von Miller the week before. And, you know, look, they gave up four sacks in the first half. Uh, Chris Jones was unquestionably a man possessed. I brought up last week that Jones had not had a single postseason sack in 14 career postseason games. Forget what he had done in the three games against the Bengals, where, by the way, he didn't have a sack. 
but he did not have one single postseason sack. You could tell by his interview on Friday up on the podium when he kept saying Burrowhead, Burrowhead, Burrowhead. This was a guy who, whatever little extra motivation he may have needed, he found it because he was the guy we watched during the regular season, 15 and a half sacks. Uh, he's one of three players up for the uh, NFL's Defensive Player of the Year Award. He kept prodding around as we thought he would because they, they move him around a lot. They wanted to find, was there one player or players that he could take advantage of uh, along that offensive line? And he did. Uh, but, you know, that offensive line, look, they, 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 they stepped in there against uh, the Ravens. They stepped in there beautifully against Buffalo. I'm not going to sit here and beat them down for what happened yesterday. But um, just the whole start of the game, and then you get into red zone, which, you know, we've got Brian Villa coming on here in a minute, and you talk all the time. If you just look at two stats and don't look at anything else in the box score, number one by far and away is turnovers. Almost all the time, you can tell who won the game by who won the turnover battle. That's the story of the NFL. There are outliers, but it's overwhelmingly um, in favor of the team that commits the fewest number of turnovers. That's number one. Number two is what happens when you get in the red zone. And that's where the Bengals' offense has been great all year. It's where their defense has been great all year. Kansas City's offense has been good in the red zone this year. Their defense has been brutal. But the first two trips in the red zone for the Bengals – they have to kick field goals rather than touchdowns. So they were trailing 13-6 at the half. Defense was unbelievable in the second half, but Kansas City wins the game. Speaking of Brian Billick, former Super Bowl winning head coach with the Baltimore Ravens. Brian, you're sitting there watching it. You know, everybody around here, uh, naturally, uh, livid with the officiating in the game. Now, look, uh, you had your, you know, bumps in the road with officials through the years back when you were a head coach. To me, that whole crew, and I'm not saying it was a difference between winning and losing, but, but there are four or five plays, and maybe it's true in every game, that you can go back and look on and look no further than the punt return that set up the game-winning field goal. Where, I mean, as clear as a day is long, there's two blocks in the back. You see that penalty called all the time. Did, did you, what was your impression of the officiating in the game? It was, uh, and you're right. Uh, the good thing now is they can't find me <laughs> like what I was coaching. So I could, it was a poorly administered game. That, that's what struck me more than anything. Calls, missed calls and the like, that's going to happen to a degree. Uh, Brian, hang on a second the, here. I think yeah. we're having an issue. No. We, we got his mic on now? Yeah, yeah. Are we good? Okay, Brian, go ahead. What were you saying? Okay. Um, there we go. Uh, as I was saying, for, it was a poorly administered game is what st struck yeah. me by. The calls themselves, you know, they're going to happen. They're not going to happen. But a uh, poorly administered game, I thought, and and which is unfortunate. And regardless of what the league says, they do call it different in the postseason than they do the regular season. That's just a fact. Um and so it's unfortunate, you know, particularly for it to end. You, your heart's got to go out to the young man. I mean, this, that's going to linger with him for a long, long time. Clearly, it was a penalty. Uh, made the difference in the game, obviously, or at least giving them a chance. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I would agree that I think it's a poorly administered game. 
but it probably cut both sides, so it wasn't going to really affect the outcome of the game. Uh, but it was, you, you, and you sized it up and listened to you before. It all came down to the protection. We talked about going into it, concerns about the offensive line, and then they performed brilliantly against the Buffalo Bills. Uh, and you thought, okay, they're going to they're hold up. They're going to be okay. Because the front seven of the Buffalo Bills, most people I think would concede is better than the front seven of the Kansas City Chiefs. But, you know, that first half, Burrow just could They were beating him to his drop. And, and uh, it's probably a good thing because that young man Reddick for Philadelphia, the way he tore up Trent Williams, maybe the best tackle in football. I can't imagine what he'd do against that Bengal line if they were in the Super Bowl. Um, walk, walk me through um, a, a couple of things, Brian. I want to start with the actual punt itself. And I made the comment that, um, you know, being around guys like you and some other guys through the years, that uh, here you were punting the ball, getting the ball back to Kansas City after, to me, inexplicably, and we'll get to this for a minute, why on second and three and on third and three you're throwing low percentage, 25, 30-yard balls down the field. Uh, okay, so now it comes time to punt. Um, walk me through uh, the thinking of the head coach and what he expects from the special teams coach. I guess what I'm getting at here is, can you allow the Kansas City player to catch the ball in the air? Based on your experience, are punters not good enough directionally or whatever it might be to, to kick it towards the sideline? Hell, kick it out of bounds for that matter. Yeah, I mean, that that would would have been the prudent thing to do. Uh, but there again, you got to execute it. That, that kicker, their kickoff guy, darn near kicked it out of bounds on a kickoff, which would have been brutal giving the ball. It, it just ended up bouncing in and being a touchback in that regard. But yeah, I, I, it's hard for me to imagine that they weren't directionally punting and the kicker just screwed up. Um, and because that affects the return as well. And, and I just in watching the game, I haven't looked at the tape, maybe totally wrong on this. But the way he was breaking, broke to the outside, because when you directionally punt, your your team has to know that's where you're going. It's not a secret, right? Because your coverage has to be, okay, we're going to punt. You call them in zones one, two, and three. We're kicking to zone one. So they know, all right, that's the angle you should be approaching. Because we're going to use the sideline, in this instance, the right sideline, as we're speaking uh, from the punting team. And we're going to pin it into that sideline. So your rush lanes are dictated by where the ball is going to go. Well, if he, he cranks that thing in the middle of the field, the players, the rush team, the punt team doesn't know that. And his ability to get outside to the right, again, I, I could be totally wrong, but indicates to me that that uh, maybe it was supposed to be a directional punt and the kicker, uh, the punter, wasn't able to pull it off. You have the ball with three minutes left, a little more than three minutes left. You got a couple of timeouts in your pocket. Now, I, you know, hey, look, I, I gave the credit where the credit is due, although you and I both know you've forgotten more about it than I'll know. Uh, on the fourth down uh, throw down the middle of the field where uh, Chase, you know, goes up in the air between two defenders, hauls it in inside the five-yard line. It leads to a game-tying touchdown. That's fine. You made a play. But second and three, after you, you convert a third and 16, second and three and third and three, you're throwing the ball 15, 20, 30, 40 yards down the field. And knowing the likelihood of those plays being made again, again, are certainly very, very low from a percentage standpoint. Look, uh, you know, early in the year, there were a lot of questions about the play calling. I think that's true. It happens everywhere. You've heard about it back in your days as a play caller. But Brian, 
second and three, third and three, and those are the play calls? Well, you, you have to know what exactly the play call was. Could have been a check. Yeah. Uh, uh, from the run, it, it also, and it's t- it's tough on a quarterback in any structure. You're going to have a deep element, an intermediate, and a shallow element on virtually every route. And the way Kansas City configured this is without looking at the film. Okay, so they may very well said, okay, we're going to take away the underneath stuff. We're going to dare you throw the ball deep. And the way Burrow and and Higgins and uh, 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 Chase were hitting it, uh, and and even Hurst, it's you know that's. That's pretty good percentages. I kind of like that. And and there's always the case that, you know, uh, you, you it's open down the field and he dumps it off. It's, my God, why didn't you take the deep shot? And then the, he takes the deep shot and the underneath is wide open. Why didn't you go underneath? You know, it's damned if you, damned if you don't. Yeah. So without knowing the exact play call, I thought, particularly leading into that, particularly they popped that big run with Joe Mixon. How many times have we seen that in Cincinnati where in the last quarter, they they start to really crank that run game up, and they grind down the clock, and they get the big chunks. Uh, when he hit hit that one, I thought, okay, now we're gonna now now we're gonna see that Cincinnati formula, and they're gonna get pop some good physical runs down here, play action, maybe get a big shot off of it, um, but obviously didn't transpire that way. Ryan, after you have that kind of a loss um, and you know your staff, you get back. What, what's today like? Um, not just for how you feel. I mean, I think we everybody understands how they must feel, although you can't walk in their shoes. But from just strictly an administrative standpoint, you've had these guys together going all the way back to, you know, beginning of August, training camp. Uh, you go through your ups and downs like every single team. You get beat uh, the last second of the game with a chance to make it back-to-back Super Bowls. You know you've got so many really valuable players on this team. Uh, that could be, probably will be, walking out the door as free agents. What's today like? It's painful. It's a shock to the system. It truly is because when you get to that point, particularly getting the where the way Cincinnati did, going in and beating Buffalo, you really believe, and all the teams are the same way, getting the championship game. You believe you're that team of destiny. You believe you're going to the Super Bowl and win it. And when it doesn't happen, it is it is a shock to the system, and so they're they're just kind of numb right now. They'll come in and do the administrative things to kind of clean up. Also realizing, as every team does, that two minutes after the season's over, it changes because now the business side kicks in, and there are going to be changes. So that team, that band of brothers that you fought together so hard all year long, now you realize it's going to be different. And that's a tough. So the whole thing is a shock to the system, particularly the way it ended. Um, and then to have to listen for the next two weeks incessantly about the Super Bowl, which is great. We all get to talk about it and, and get to you know get excited about what should be a very very good game. Uh, but it just compounds it. You, you you do your at best. You want to get away someplace where you don't hear it, you don't see it, take off and go someplace because it just uh, it's it takes a while to get over. You know, um, uh, on the business side of it, Brian, I'm curious on a day like today where every team uh, has a lot of big time guys that, that, that can become free agents, et cetera, et cetera, especially for this Bengals team and especially on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, look, they know that Chase is coming back. They know they can tag Higgins. They know they're going to get a Burrow contract done. 
So three of your biggest stars on offense are going to be back next year. Tyler Boyd, too, for that matter. But, you know, when it comes to, you know, the Von Bells of the world and guys like this, they, you had a very active owner in Steve Bashotti there uh, after you also had a very active owner in Art Modell there. You had Ozzie Newsom as your general manager there. Do those guys come down and say anything to those players who are wondering whether or not they're going to come back next year? You, you do, and you try to be encouraging because you, you want them all back. But everybody knows you just can't do it. People need to understand, including the players, unlike Major League Baseball and, and, and basketball and the like, the pie is only so big. Now, it's a big pie. I mean, it's what, $210 million, going to go up to $225, $230 million, $240 for the cap. But just like slicing up your pizza, right? Uh, there's only so many pieces. And the bigger one piece, the smaller the other piece. And and it just doesn't fit. Uh, you, you talked about Ozzie Newsman in, in Baltimore. Uh, they One of their hallmarks was they were willing to make the tough decisions and letting good players that you'd love to keep go but you know you just can't pay them market because you're paying somebody else. Uh, and every dollar goes into one contract has to come out of another. And that's a tough circumstance. But the players know that. It's, it's, it's my God, this should be that way. I should be able to stay here. But by the same token, also, it's an opportunity. means I get to go get a big payday. So it, you know, there's, uh, you've heard me say it a million times. My mentor, Denny Green, God rest his soul, always said this. So there's time for pay and there's time for play. And during the season, you're constantly, guys, time's to play. Well, now it's time to get paid. And so you got to recognize that's just the business side of it. And and uh, we'll work through it, we'll keep as many as we can, uh, and then see where, how we can fill in when we have the attrition that's naturally going to come. Yeah, based on your experience, and obviously you had some great offensive stars, you had a lot of great defensive stars, you had all that kind of thing with Baltimore. Is it easier to replace, say, guys in the secondary? So, like, you know, with the Bengals, you've got Eli Apple, who, look, whether you like the guy or don't like the guy, he's played very well for the Bengals here. You've got Jesse Bates, who's had a really nice career here. You've got Von Bell, who has really played well here. He's a leader and really looked up to and respected by everybody. Is it easier to replace those positions on a team or tight ends, a third wide receiver, things like that. What would be more important looking ahead to the Bengals if, if you were the guy trying to figure out the contracts without getting into we're going to give this guy this much and that guy that much? Well, and, and you have to go through that exercise. You have to basically quantify. and Just look, look at the franchise number on each player. That, that tells you where the value is. I mean, that's very, that, that you can cut to the chase. And, and uh, if you just follow that, Obviously, the tight end contract, the safety contract is lower than the corner and the receiver contract. The rush end contract is bigger than the defensive tackle contract, which all of them tend to be higher than most of the offensive line. Contract. So that tells you where, okay. And, and that's the thing. I, I only say it half jokingly, but in the old days, when you'd sit down in personnel meetings, say, okay, well, we need a guard. Well, do you want a pass protecting guard? Do you want a zone blocking guard? Do you want a man guard? Now it's Okay, we need a guard. Well, do you want a you want a five million dollar guard? You want a ten million dollar guard, or do you want a twenty million dollar guard? You know that's probably a little high, but you see what I'm getting at. Yeah. And, and 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 that's exactly how it's striated. And as Ozzy would always remind me, you know, it's it's for me, 
as a coach going through it because the money, you know, it was simple. It wasn't my money. So it's, yeah, let's pay them all. But you put it into real context when you come in and say, okay, yeah, we can keep player A, but it's going to cost you player B, C, D, and E. So which do you want? You want these four guys? Mm. Or do you want this one guy and we'll try to fill in with the other four? Now when you put it in those terms, now it gets to be very, who boy, what what does one, what is one guy worth uh, in the scheme of what you're doing? And how readily can you fill in at the other positions? Yeah, there are certain positions that are harder to find. Tight end, there's a lot of talented, young, athletic tight ends coming into the league. And and so that's one that you, you have fairly confidence. Uh-oh. Billick's gone. Just dropped out on us. Just, oh, there he is. Oh, there I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, no. okay. There he is. We got, uh, I got a phone call. Say, go ahead. You were talking about tight ends. Yeah, why, why, you know, you, you can, you can use now, you're not talking the top guys. All right. Because you, you, it's a tough time, but you, there, there are certain positions that, that, uh, uh particularly top tier players, uh, the top tier corner, you kind of feel like, although it's changing because of the quality of tight ends now in the league, you got to have a top caliber safety. You used to be, okay, we can get by with maybe lesser athletes at safety. I don't know if that's the case anymore. Um, everybody wants that big impact interior defensive lineman now. Pass rush up the middle is a very vogue thing. So, uh, yeah, and, and you got to look a little bit, okay, what's the draft? Is it a good year for DBs in the draft? Is it a good year for tight ends in the draft? What about the free agent market? Is there going to be some backside free agent pickups that you, you end up uh, and, and getting good deals on? So that, you know, you have to factor it all in. Uh, well, last two things I want to ask you about. Just to finish this, this whole thing in forward thinking. Um, you know, I, I, I think every Bengals fan's worst nightmare is you give Burrow all this money, and like you just said, at the expense of who or what, right? Um, and, I, and I sit there, and I'm looking at Kansas City, and they – Gave Mahomes a King's ransom, rightfully so. Five straight AFC championships, third Super Bowl, trying to win his second. But Tyree Kill walked out the door. I look at Aaron Rodgers. They pay him through the nose. Devontae Adams walks out the door. Um, for Bengals fans, is that perhaps a blueprint of what might be coming? Oh, absolutely. You have to just look at the teams. What's the franchise number for a quarterback now? 45 million. Lamar Jackson, if he, they put the franchise tag on, I think it's 45 million on a 200 million plus 250 million cap. So that means a fifth year tire budget is on one player. Those dollars are real. So what do you do? That's why it's so imperative to get the contracts where you can stretch out the value of the contract, minimize the cap implications in a given year. But by the same token, now Cincinnati's a very young team, so this isn't necessarily the problem. It's when you try to do that and you extend on some of the older contracts, the older players, that leaves you at some point with dead money. That, you know, at some point you got to even up the credit card. So that's the challenge right now for a Cincinnati team, or you look at Josh Allen in Buffalo. Obviously, they're dealing with Lamar Jackson coming the same way. How do we how do we give them these new contracts? and structured in a way that it gives us still the room to put the, the pieces around them. And what that means is they're giving them these huge contract with larger and larger guarantees that get spread out over a longer period of time, uh, which become problematic as well. But so it's, you know, pay me now or pay me later. 
And, and these are the kind of determinations, tough determinations you have to make. Last question I want to ask you about uh, the NFC game. I, I, you know, I can't imagine uh, for a coach or for a team, all the players on that team, uh, that there could have been a worse nightmare scenario than what happened with the 49ers. I mean, the second play of the game, Fred Warner gets hurt. Uh, shortly thereafter, Bosa's out. And then all of a sudden, the, the big hit to Purdy, and, and, and you're giving the ball to Josh Johnson. I mean, God bless the guy. He's hung around 14 years. But, I mean, you knew that game, it was over right then and there. Yeah, and it's it's tough because, you know, you can't feel sorry for yourself. I mean, it is what it is. Injuries are always going to play a factor. Uh, what you worry about, I mean, at the time is, okay, how do, how do I keep my team? Because, you know, they're thinking the same thing. And if they emotionally give in to, okay, oh, boy, well, this just isn't going to happen. Uh, that's that's tough to overcome. They'll uh, they'll say the right thing and, you know, yeah, we'll fight through it. And you got to, you know, next man, you know, it's the next man up. Well, the next man up is not as good. Otherwise, you wouldn't be the next man up. Uh, and on the road in Philly on a very physical team, yeah, it, it emotionally was a lot to overcome. And, and, and you, well, that's just fate. That's just the way the game fell. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go after it and, and see if we can dust ourselves off. And, you know, because you always look at the, the, the teams that lose in the championship game or lose in the Super Bowl and emotionally, how do they handle? San Francisco will at least emotionally be able to go, well, okay, this the football gods just decided this isn't going to happen, you know, given the injuries. Uh, not to make an excuse, but, I mean, so they'll, they'll okay, we're going to come back and reconstitute. And and, uh, and what great shape are they in with these young quarterbacks? Because now, they, they, they whether it's a Brock Purdy or, or Trey Lance, um, they don't have to pay those guys for a while. They're not facing the same dilemma. Uh, that, that some of the teams with really good quarterbacks, so they're going to be able to to utilize their cap space and wrap some teams around it with and and for a couple of years now because it looks like they've kind of struck gold with the Brock Purdy. Brian, we thank you so much, my friend. Have a great rest of your day today. We'll do it. All right, Brian Billick, Super Bowl winning head coach from the Baltimore Ravens, kind enough to join us and add his insight. I love hearing the stuff about uh, you know what today is like down there at that facility. Um, you know, they got in very, very late last night. It wasn't like it was a cross-country trip, but, I mean, 6.30 game didn't end until 10 o'clock. You got to deal with the media. It takes forever to get on a plane when you got 100 guys or 80 guys, whatever it is, with coaches and everything. Believe me, it takes football teams forever uh, to get out the door and everybody showered up on the buses, get to the airport. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, it was a very, very late night, no doubt, uh, and an early morning. Uh, you know, guys are coming in there right now as we speak. Uh, some guys, you know, they know they're, they're going to be here. So they don't have to, you know, the, the proverbial clean out the locker. Some other guys, you got to pack everything you have because you just don't know. I mean, whether it's Von Bell, Jesse Bates has been here six years. And now all of a sudden, you know, he's thinking, okay, you know, I got the tag this year, uh, you know. They probably can't afford to bring both of those guys back. I don't know if they can afford to bring either one of them back. And the thing you got to keep in mind about all this is they don't have to do Burrow's contract this offseason. They don't have to. That's not the deal. Okay? He is still technically going into the fourth year of his rookie contract. Now, you want to tag him and start making – you don't have to tag him. 
but, you know, do you want to pay him when you don't have to pay him yet? I think that's going to be, at the end of the day, the single most interesting decision the Bengals front office is going to make. Because everybody knows he's going to get paid. You want to make sure he does get paid. And you want him here forever. He's a quarterback you believe you can win the Super Bowl with, right? But they're, they're, they're not obligated to get that done this offseason. Nor are they obligated to get anything done with Jamar Chase this offseason. Nor are they obligated on a long-term deal to get anything done with T. Higgins this offseason. You could have Burrow play the final year of his rookie contract. Now, you want to talk about getting under a guy's skin, deep under a guy's skin. The only stipulation with this Burrow thing and the reason people are talking about it is because there's a clause based on a number of factors where they can begin to engage in a long-term contract negotiation for Burrow, but they don't have to do it. Chase is even a year behind him, so they don't have to do anything with him. Higgins, his rookie contract is up, so they don't have to give him a long-term deal. They can franchise tag him, and he'll make whatever the top five average of the top five or ten players at his position uh, in the NFL, and it would be a ton, a lot more than he's making now. Uh, we got Tim McGee coming up in about seven minutes, so let's see oh, if send him the link. Okay. He just sent me a text, uh, and we're going to talk with him. We're going to take a commercial timeout. We thank the hundreds and hundreds of you that are uh, in with us right now. Uh, and, and we'll uh, hear from, I'm really interested to hear from, um, from Tim McGee. He thought Kansas City was going to win this game, and he was spot on. All right, we're back with Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers in just a moment. At United Dairy Farmers, we've perfected freshness in our family bakery, where we use only the finest ingredients, like thick, high-quality glazes on our signature donuts, before delivering them fresh from bakery to store every day. UDF, made for you. If your AC or furnace is struggling, turn to the experts at Bartels Heating and Cooling. Their certified technicians get the job done right the first time, and if you need a new unit, Bartels will give you upfront pricing with no hidden fees. Plus, Ask about Bartell's 0% interest financing for 60 months. Learn more at BartellsHeatingAndCooling.com. Bartell's Heating and Cooling, for a comfortable way of life. Eli's Sports Bar and Grill, proudly sponsoring high school football with three locations in Mason, Liberty Township, and Ross, Ohio. Our 10-foot screens guarantee a great view from every seat in the house. Eli's Sports Bar and Grill, the best place in Cincinnati for sports, food, and fun. Where can you turn when you're in pain? Turn where more high school, college, and pro athletes turn. Where your neighbors and weekend warriors turn. Turn to Beacon Orthopedics and Sports Medicine and get superior care on your schedule. That's the Beacon difference. Check out our fresh arrivals at Jake Sweeney Used Cars. Over 250 used vehicles weekly. All makes, all models. From economy to luxury, Jake Sweeney, the original used car superstore.
At United Dairy Farmers, we've perfected freshness in our family bakery, where we use only the finest ingredients, like thick, high-quality glazes on our signature donuts, before delivering them fresh from bakery to store every day. UDF, made for you. If your AC or furnace is struggling, turn to the experts at Bartels Heating and Cooling. Their certified technicians get the job done right the first time, and if you need a new unit, Bartels will give you upfront pricing with no hidden fees. Plus, ask about Bartels 0% interest financing for 60 months. Learn more at BartelsHeatingAndCooling.com. Bartels Heating and Cooling, for a comfortable way of life. Eli's Sports Bar and Grill, proudly sponsoring high school football with three locations in Mason, Liberty Township, and Ross, Ohio. Our 10-foot screens guarantee a great view from every seat in the house. Eli's Sports Bar and Grill, the best place in Cincinnati for sports, food, and fun. All right, welcome back to uh, Off the Bench presented by United Dairy Farmers. We thank uh, Paul Frischner for all his very hard work here today. He's solo. I mean, we're the only two here. Everybody else is gallivanting around uh, Kansas City and points between uh, Kansas City and Lawrence, Kansas, where I guess they are, uh, it's only about a half hour ride, whatever it is, down the road. And uh, they're all uh, hanging out at some casino, Paul. They're, uh, you know, they hung out last night, went to the game in some cases, um, and uh, hanging around another night tonight, all day today. Lord knows what they're doing today. Yeah, I don't, I don't well, know. The game's not till tomorrow night, right? I, I don't know what they're doing today. I know yesterday they went to the College Basketball Hall of Fame and the whole college basketball experience out there in Kansas City. So I don't know what they did uh, or what they're doing today. I know uh, Sean Spurlock, one of the co-founders here at Chatterbox, he's flying out there today. They're going to Kansas and Kansas State tomorrow night at Allen Fieldhouse. If you remember, this was all the way back from December from the bet that Trace put in about the, uh, the Pac-12 championship with Utah and USC. He said that if... Utah won that game against USC. If they covered in that game, that he was going to take everybody out there to Kansas. I would have loved to have gone. I uh, just couldn't make it work. I have to broadcast the game tomorrow night. So uh, just the schedules didn't line up. Can't make it work. But I know that that'll be a great experience. I'm hoping one, t one day. I know I will uh, make it out to Allen Fieldhouse. So they'll, uh, they'll all be out there. I don't know what they're doing. They're staying out there at one of the casinos. You know, they're just... Well, I mean, it's perfect. I'd imagine the weather stinks. It was obviously very cold yesterday. I had a chance to do some stuff yesterday on the uh, Bengals radio network. And uh, Mo Egger, who, of course, hosts an afternoon drive time show uh, over on uh, 1530, uh, checked in and was saying that, you know, that, that brutal cold that we had here um, that week before Christmas, few days before Christmas, right around Christmas, and how cold it was, uh, he said to him, it felt every bit that cold uh, in Kansas City yesterday. Really didn't seem to have much of a, uh, an effect on uh, the game in any form or fashion. I mean, you know, the one turnover uh, that Mahomes had on that fumble, it looked to me like he just had his eye on the receiver and he was trying to catch a snap and get rid of it really fast. And he took his eye off the ball and it turned into a fumble and that was that. But, but I didn't think weather was a big factor. No, I at all yesterday. No, I didn't either. And it comes to a point on on uh, honestly, it comes to a point where do the players like playing in the cold? I don't I don't know if it really mattered at all. I don't think there was anything that gave me any reason to think that the cold uh played a factor. I know the fans it was freezing I heard from people that were there that they said it was it was very, very, very cold. Um but yeah, I, I just don't think that the weather really played a factor at all. And 
you know, thinking back to the pass rush from last week when we were looking at the Bengals and their offensive line against the Bills, and we talked about, well, you know, maybe there was, maybe there was some smoke and mirrors there with the Bengals' offensive line last week where I know they didn't have Chris Jones. I know the Bills don't have Chris Jones. I get that. But maybe there was some smoke and mirrors there where you're playing in the, in the snow and it's, it's slick and you can't get off the line the right way. And then now all of a sudden you got to go out there to Kansas City where you're not playing in the snow and the offensive line gets blown up. And it's just a shame that it played out the way it did with the offensive line because to the Bengals' credit in the front office, they spent so much time, effort, and financial energy in helping out this offensive line and in investing resources into this offensive line. And it was good, but not having Alex Kappa. It didn't show last week in, in Buffalo. Tom, it really showed last night. Yeah, it did. Um, you know, and, 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 but I think they have everybody, if I'm not mistaken, outside of Lyle Collins, because those aren't guaranteed contracts in the NFL. Uh, they've got Karras back. They've got Kappa back. You've got Bolson. He was a rookie this year. Um, you're going to find a spot for either Carmen or Adenogy, depending on what you want to do with the right tackle spot. And Collins, he's coming all the way back from a serious knee injury. Uh, the left tackle spot is one where... You know, now that one might take a different kind of turn. I'm not sure how that's going to play out uh, regarding Jonah Williams because he showed a lot of toughness this year. He dislocated that kneecap, uh, did not miss a game. Uh, but at the same time, he did not have a very good year. Um, and so, you know, uh, now th th this is the kind of stuff that a lot of you are much uh, better versed than I am. But uh, Rowdy Every Point says the Bengals project to be about $35 million under the salary cap, as it is. And they can create even more space, of course, depending on who they keep. He thought they could sign, if they wanted to, Higgins on a four-year deal, front-load the contract for 2023 cap space. You could do that. Or you could just tag him. But that would be a big hit on the cap space. If you tag him, because it's a one-year contract. Tom, I got a question for you. Yes, sir. I, I think the Bengals probably have one more year in this window that we're in right now. I know that Joe Burrow said that you know the window is my whole career. I know he said yep. that. They probably have one more year though in this window. If that was this, was this, was this in this iteration of the Bengals? Was this the shot, or do, or do they have one more year? Oh, I think they've got more than one more year. I think that Brian just said it. That's why I was asking the question about, you know, and, and um, you know, figuring out, okay, look, everybody here loves Hayden Hurst. You love his toughness. You love the way he plays, his passion, his fire. But, look, I, I think there are a lot – there are a number of guys that could do the same job that Hayden Hurst did for this team this year. Everybody was upset when, uh, when uh, Uzama left. Uh, I think Hurst is a better player than Uzama. And they got a guy on a one-year contract who, you know, things didn't work out. After being a high draft pick in Baltimore, uh, went to Atlanta for a little while. They let him go. He comes here. He's a standout player, thanks in large part to all the other weapons, and you can't defend everybody. And I think you're going to have all those same weapons back next year. You know you're going to have Burrow, Higgins, Boyd, Chase next year. Start there. So, 
whatever player comes in to be the tight end, you'll find a guy that can come in and catch passes and do all those kinds of things. You'll find that guy. So, okay, you, you know, you might have to just say, all right, you know, we'll offer you something. Uh, Hurst might feel like he can get something better, which he probably will in terms of money. Uh, and so off he goes. Uh, you look at most of the defense, but that's secondary. Hilton's a year older. He had a tough game yesterday. I love Mike Hilton. I love what he's all about, but he had a tough day. Um, Cameron Britt came on, uh, Taylor Britt, and played very well. Uh, Dax Hill, I don't know, but they drafted the guy to take over eventually for Jesse Bates, right? Eli Apple played well yesterday. He played very well yesterday. Uh, and I know he's a lightning rod, but you've got to find guys to replace these guys. That's the bottom line. Um, and then the whole Von Bell thing, who I think everybody agrees, along with Reader, uh, those are the two leaders uh, on this defense. And, and I know I'm in the minority on this opinion. Uh, you've got Pratt, who's up as a free agent. In my opinion, he's a better player than Logan Wilson. Wilson gets more tackles, uh, but boy, he, he was... He was a step late and a dollar short on some big plays yesterday in that game. Um, and I know that, you know, his contract's not up yet either. But the way that, 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 that football is played today, I would have a very hard time paying a linebacker a lot of money. Unless it was a pass-rushing linebacker who's going to go out and get you 14, 15, 17 sacks in a season. Because just lining up, most teams are not playing three linebackers anymore. They're playing two. They're playing five DBs. Um, you're not using your, 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 your linebackers oftentimes in, um, um, you know, blitzing situations, things like that. Uh, Sir Boy Wonder points out that uh, he was very upset. Now, my son started to bring this up with me, um, and I'm curious. Um, he was very upset with some of the comments made by Pratt walking off the field yesterday. Do you know what he's talking about? Yeah, I don't. I'm not going to pull it up because it was there's a lot of profanity okay. in it. Um, okay, I'm not going to pull it up, but the, it was tweeted out, and it's very easy to find on Twitter if anybody wants to go look at it. I think he, Sports Center may have even tweeted it out, um, but it was basically. Uh, Jermaine Pratt coming off the field and there was a reporter that was down in the tunnel that got a video of Pratt basically screaming at not directly at uh, Joseph Osai. Osai wasn't there. He was just screaming into a void that he was basically it came off that he was blaming Osai. That's the way it came off and it wasn't a good look. Um, there's not a, a ton of context to it in the sense I don't know if you need context to it but you, you could tell he was saying something as the video started, and then he said his, his piece, which very clearly was him blaming Osai on that last play, and then he walked into the locker room, and he was the only one saying anything, and the rest of the players and the staff and people that were walking in were quiet. It was a weird look. It was a bizarre look. It wasn't a good look, uh, and if it is as transparent as it came across in the video, it's not a good look for uh, Jermaine Pratt, but... Um, 
Tom, I, I don't know how much time you want to spend on this, but it's a storyline, and I think we got to talk. L- l- let me just say one thing in regard to oh. I never put any stock, and I have to tell you, just like I'm not going to sit here. I don't like it. I don't like the way Kelsey, you know, but that's his style. Passionate guy. If he's on your team, you love him. If he, if he plays on the other team, you can't stand him. Okay? And walking over while they're trying to interview Mahomes and, you know, Burrowhead, my blank, and all that sort of stuff. I don't like it. Um, you know, win with grace, lose with grace. Um, but I don't put a lot of stock into what guys say as they're walking off the field in an incredibly emotionally charged moment in their lives. And these are still very young people, okay? Because we all get, you know, fired up things that happen with our families or with our friends or, you know, whatever it might be. And so while those comments clearly came across as um, not very flattering for Pratt, um, I'm not going to, I'm not holding it against a guy uh, because he's just really frustrated and disappointed. And all of those things are culminating at one time with the realization that, you know, you, you love this group of players you played with the whole year. And now, like Brian said, the realization just smacks you right across the face that it is over. And for him, it might be over as a Bengal. Yeah, that was the frustrating part for me with it was that it got out. I, the reporter got it, tweeted the video out. And I understand the reporter's doing their job. They get a piece of content like that. It's their job to tweet it out. I get it. But that's something that I'm sure the Bengals would have liked to have kept in-house. And it's an emotional time. You're coming off the field right after you think you're going to go to the Super Bowl. You, you have the ball. You think you're going to the Super Bowl, which is what you work your entire life for. And then it's ripped away from you, and the only thing that's tangible that you can point to is a boneheaded play on a penalty at the very end of the game. And if you want to use a scapegoat, that's it. I'm not going to do that, but if you want to use a scapegoat, that's it, and that's what he did, and it's emotional. I'm not going to hold it against Pratt for doing that. It's a bad look. I get it, but a lot of you, you never know what happens in the locker room with these kinds of things. It's just that it happened outside the locker room in a yeah. public forum, and that's – so what were you going to say? You were getting ready to make another Yeah, point. I was. I was going to say we haven't talked at all about the officiating, and it's a big storyline in this game, and I'm not one to blame the officials, but yeah. I think we do need to talk about it for a minute, Tom. The officiating, what I don't like is when the officiating becomes a storyline in a game like this between a heavyweight bout, yeah. two teams that are deserving of the spot, the two clear best teams in the AFC. And you get what you want. You get the AFC Championship game. It's at Arrowhead Stadium. All of the buildup all week. You want to go out there and you want to let the players play. You want to let the game decide itself. And for all of the speculation and for all of the people that kept saying, you know, NFL rigged. The NFL is not rigged. It's not rigged. No. It's not rigged. No chance. But. For the people that kept saying it was rigged after the coin toss and everything else that the Bengals had to overcome in the last few weeks getting to that point, it is a frustrating, frustrating scenario to see the Bengals have to get three consecutive third down stops from the same officiating crew that tossed the Bengals the Super Bowl last year. It was the same official, the same crew. 
that all of a sudden threw the flag on the hold on Logan Wilson last year in the Super Bowl. Uh, Tim McGee's in here right now. I know we'll get him in here in a second, Tom. Um, but I just think it's a shame that we even have to talk about the officials from a game like this where it, that should not be a storyline. Let the players play. Let the two greatest quarterbacks in the game right now decide the game on the field. If anything, it was the defenses that decided this game. And it's a shame that it, it played out the way it did. I just hate that we're sitting here having to talk about the officials, but it's too big of a storyline to ignore. So you, you say we have Tim in? Tim is in here. Okay, yeah. let, let, let's get to uh, the former Bengal great, uh, Tim McGee. Uh, Tim, uh, you know, look, your guy tells it like it is. Uh, whether it's on the Bengals radio network, uh, whether it's on our show, uh, and we're grateful for you uh, hustling to try and get on with us here today. Um, what do you take away from the game last night? The Bengals lost. Um, you know, you, uh, you have to fight through adversity throughout the uh, year, fighting injuries, officiating, uh, unforeseen things that happened during the season. <clears throat> and how quickly we forget, and obviously I'm a huge Bengal fan, but we tend to forget last year when, when the, we had the run, all the um, all the officiating, all the breaks, the bounce ball, the fumble ball went our way. So we have to be more thankful and grateful for all the uh, positive things that happened. And when we look at um, yesterday, you know, you just saw you got what you expected. It was going to be a dog fight. Uh, there was going to be, you know, I, I said this prior to the game over and over and again. If you were a fan that did not like close games that go back and forth, bounce back and forth, one team, your team winning by 10, looks like you're going you're gonna to pull away. Then the other team comes back, they look like they're going to pull away. Then they come back. It's, a, it's just, it's a grinded out fight to the end. And, you know, we can look at, certain plays throughout the game, certain official calls throughout the game. But, you know, ultimately, you have to make the plays, and that's what um, Kansas City did. So uh, I'll focus more on, you know, what happened positive with Kansas City. You know, you look at Asai um, pushing uh, Patrick Mahomes out of bounds. That was a byproduct of someone giving up contain. Yep. So if you're looking for to finger point, um, go all the way back to the offense. I as I was sitting on the couch watching TV with a couple of friends and my wife, <clears throat> I'm just like you guys. This game is over. We're going to the Super Bowl because you gave Joe Burrow two minutes and two timeouts, and you're not going to tell me they're not going to march down and get a field goal at minimum. That's, and that's what we've seen throughout this streak, throughout the year, throughout last year. That was their key and their, their success, formula of success, I should say. And you could not tell me, Tom, and no one else could tell me that the Bengals, I was ready to go. Let's pack them up. Let's roll. We're, we're going to Arizona. And that didn't happen. And then, you know, you had the absolutely mind-boggling <laughs> third and nine call by the official. I, I, I still hadn't figured that one out. Uh, but when uh, Patrick Mahomes got pushed out of bounds, uh, you know, there was a lot of other things. Yeah, you can if, if you were a finger-pointed, go ahead and blame that. But there was a lot more um, to it than that. just that one play. Well, and after the game, I, I, Tim, I don't know if you had time to see the comments, but uh, uh, certainly Sam Hubbard and B.J. Hill both took full ownership of not having contained on that play. 
uh, even before uh, Tim's got to run out real quick, even before um, have, you know have, people have, had a I chance. I had to get the glare out. I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, but you know, those guys took full ownership of that. They were trying to protect Osai from having to answer questions right away, giving him a little bit of a chance. His teammates will look out for one another and that kind of thing. So you're spot on on that. I, I, I tell you though, Tim, for me, um, and I brought it up earlier in the show, uh, two things, I guess three technically, but two things really stand out for me. You just alluded to Bengals have the ball. A little over two minutes to go, two timeouts left, and, you know, they, they complete the pass on third and 16 to Hurst to get the first down. Now they're just inside their own 40. They need probably three more first downs with as cold as it was to give McPherson a legitimate chance to win the game on a field goal. Uh, they get seven yards on first down. Now, you know better than anybody because you were out there for 10 years as a wide receiver catching balls all over the NFL. The, the play the chase made early in the game on the fourth down, he leaps in between two defenders, you know, caught it inside the five, uh, a play for the generations of the franchise's history, right? We're never going to forget that play. Right. But on second and three and third and three, I just cannot accept or understand. And again, I'm not saying it was Zach Taylor. It might have been a checkoff by Burrow. I don't know. I haven't read anything about it. But when you're second and three and then third and three and you're trying to keep the ball and get down the field for a field goal at the very minimum to prevent Mahomes from getting one more crack at it, I don't understand how you're throwing as low percentage passes as they threw on second and three and third and three. You know, I think we need – we have praised the, tr the trio of Callahan, Zach Taylor, and, of course, Joe Burrow. We've praised them, rightfully so. They deserve it. They also deserve the criticism that comes with the last two calls that were very conservative. And it was kind of out of character for them. They, they usually a, um, you know, a aggressive attack type uh, mentality. That's what they've shown throughout the years. But for some reason, those two calls were – kind of little head scratching uh, to see them get so passive with the football. And uh, obviously, one thing I I, I, I I wish I could get inside their mind. Obviously, I couldn't, but I would want to know and understand is, were they that confident slash arrogant, because I think arrogance is, is good to a certain degree, that they felt like I did, that they were going to go down and score, and they wasn't really cognizant of the fact that they were going to give Patrick Mahomes the most valuable player in the National Football mm -hmm. League, probably give him 40 seconds, and I think he had one timeout. I, that's the part that's kind of, hmm, what were they thinking? Okay, fine, you're not going for it on second down because, like I said, you picked up seven yards. You, maybe you thought you would get it on third down, but were someone up in the box – understanding the fact that when you look at that clock, the Bengals got it with two minutes left, you look at that clock, you're giving him roughly 40 seconds to march down the field. And lo and behold, guess what happens? They get a good punt return and they get a completion here or there. And then, you know, they got backed up. But, and, and we, we know consequently what happened in the end, but it was just kind of poor situational football 
and that was uncharacteristic of him. I, I you know, I, I criticize all three because criticism, I think, is due. But um, it was just, it was kind of out of the box. I, I don't understand why they did what they did, especially leaving 40 seconds on the clock for Patrick Mahomes. Again, <laughs> outside of Cincinnati, most people, I would think, think he's the most valuable player of the league. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, and there are those of us in Cincinnati that think he's the most valuable player in the league. Um, then comes the punt. And we walked through about uh, this with Brian Billick a little bit. And, and, and look, people forget, uh, not only were you an outstanding receiver, you were one of the top special teams players in the NFL for a number of years before you became a regular wide receiver and you weren't on special teams as much as you once were when you first came in the league out of Tennessee. But, Tim, how do you punt the ball and allow the guy to return it? I know you have to punt there. It's fourth down. I get it. But, I mean, good Lord, I, I don't know if there's miscommunication there. I just don't know how you even allow a guy to have the chance to return the ball there. Is, is that unfair thinking? No, that's – so – what we're doing, we're, we're pointing out the tactical unforced errors the Bengals committed against themselves, uh, things that they could have very well controlled, as in they could have controlled just by running the ball on second down or whatever. Yeah. They could have controlled the clock. They could have controlled the punt, and they didn't do it. They could have controlled the containment. So we're talking technical stuff. We're not talking physical. We're not talking about someone getting, getting beat. We're talking mental, and mentally, the last two seconds of that football game was played very, very, very poorly by the staff and executed by the players. And it, the, the accumulation of all of it cost them an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl. Specifically, when you talk about the punt, you know in that situation with such limited time, the biggest thing that can hurt you is a flop of field position. So you want to put that ball outside of the hash, whether it's left or right. You want to push push that ball there. That way it limits the returner's ability to get back to the midfield. They kick the ball right down the middle of the field. That's what mind-boggling in itself. Secondly, you can always kick the ball out of bounds, and they didn't do that either. So whether it was miscommunication uh, poor execution. It wasn't one phase. You look at special teams breakdown, defense breakdown, offense breakdown. You could not have bet, and I hear all these fan duels and this and that. You could not have bet that the Cincinnati Bengals, who had pretty much played flawless football throughout this last 10 weeks, you could not bet that. I would not have bet that they would make these three fundamental mistakes that would cost them an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl. Tim, Joseph Asai played very, very well yesterday. A lot of people are going to only remember uh, the personal foul penalty, which allowed Kansas City to kick the game-winning field goal and that kind of thing. But just as a teammate, uh, and I mentioned earlier how guys like Reeder and Hubbard and Hill were really looking out for that young man after the game. We saw the emotion on the sideline. Um, Boy, uh, 
Can't imagine what it's like to walk in his shoes today. I mean, look, it, it's not the end of the world. There are a lot worse things that can happen in our lives than that. That we know. But this has got to be a, a pretty tough night and a pretty tough morning for that young man. Yeah, and, and you, you mentioned uh, Reader and, and, and Hubbard coming to his side. But when it first happened, what you saw was a young man that was little, literally isolated by himself on the sidewalk you know, drowning himself in tears. And it was a just piss poor that the uh, his teammates didn't immediately come to his side. So I seriously questioned that. I criticized that. That was BS. Uh, maybe it took them some time to sink in, uh, but they clearly left that kid on the sideline by him. Like I said, just totally over there isolated. Actually, just my wife was just sitting there. She was almost in tears just to see what he was going through. And, you know, it, it, it's the agony of defeat. There's no question about it. We've all been there. When we were watching the uh, game last week and, uh, and the uh, announcers, when they came on the, the lead up to the game, the promo had me sitting on the uh, sideline after the uh, Super Bowl defeat. Uh, I mean, not sitting on the sideline, sitting on the field with the last play of the game with my head down. So I know how it feels, uh, but when it's when you feel you personally impacted the game in a negative sense and some will – you know, label you as the fault uh, of the uh, of the loss. That's even tougher. But you know, we uh, as a professional athlete, Tom, you you have thick skin. And yes, it's going to bother the young man. It's going to bother the team. But they'll he'll get over it. They'll get over it. They'll they'll move forward with it because they'll bond together as they soon soon did after the game. I just wish it would have uh, happened just a little bit before um, you know the players got to the locker room because you know you, if you watch. The uh, internet, you see Jermaine Pratt yelling, yelling, you know, why in the F would you push the or touch the quarterback? So, you know, there, I know what comes out of the out of the locker room that's politically correct, but there's a lot of guys that, uh, you know, my teammates, my ex teammates, their teammates, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys that, uh, you know, not as forgiving or not as, um, um, uh, I would say, being politically correct with the with the mistake that was made because they knew and understood what was on the line, and that was a trip to win the, uh, the championship. All right, put on, uh, if you would, uh, the, the hat that now, and they've been thinking about this already, even knowing uh, that they were getting ready to play in the AFC championship game. Um, put on the hat of, of now trying to construct this team and moving ahead to next year. Uh, you know, look, uh, Every player has, a, at least in a front office's mind, what the value of that player is in terms of not only what their value is on the field, but what their value is in terms of a payday. Uh, they don't have to sign Burrow to the long-term deal yet. They don't have to sign Chase to a long-term deal. They don't have to sign Higgins to a long-term deal. They could tag him, but that would be a huge hit uh, against a one-year hit on the salary cap issue. Uh, then you have defenders. You have Jesse Bates. You have Von Bell. You have Eli Apple. You have Jermaine Pratt. Those are the four primary guys that come to mind on the defensive side of the ball that you don't have under some kind of deal or another next year. You have a gut feel to tell you, just a gut feel, on who you think comes back on that defensive side. So you got Apple, Pratt, Bell, Bates. What do you think? I think Bates is gone because the market he's going to command uh, in an open market, uh, the salary he's going to command and what they went through the uh, the last years. 
that would be a surprise. Not impossible, but I, I think that would be a surprise if he comes back. Von Bell, I think, is will come back because, again, he's, he's older, up in age, uh, very solid, and, and coaches lose uh, defense. He's like, it's a marriage. They need each other. There's no question about that. Um, as far as Jermaine Pratt, yes, uh, I think he'll be back. I think they'll make something something happen with him. But but I tell you, when you talk about T. Higgins and you talk about Joe Burrows and you talk about Chase, they impact what's going to happen on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Because um, you have to, as the Bengals, which I hate to be their capologist, they have to prepare for that. It's not like you can say, okay, let's take care of these guys and think one year. No, you got to save, you know, you got to put some money in reserve for, you know, Joe, you know, Joe Paycor, because, you know, he's going to own Paycor Stadium when, when his contract comes due. So you're talking could be upwards of a half a billion dollars. And then Chase, got to be careful with Chase, Tom, uh, for the people that don't understand his contract. If he makes another all-pro team, he will, his contract will accelerate where now he will, his tag will be the, uh, of the first five guys in his, uh, in his, at his position. And that could be, oh my God, that could be astronomical. And you're talking about a one-year deal. And let's talk about the franchise tag. You talk about T. Higgins or whoever may get that tag. A franchise tag is very demoralizing for a player. You've never seen a player happy being franchised because they know they are taking risk of millions, millions of dollars. And all you got to do if you want to see an ugly, nasty, terrible, horrific, poor example of the tag, look at Lamar Jackson, who you know, most people feel he could have played, could at least we 100% know he could have tried to play, but his contract situation uh, probably prohibited him to make a, or, or he chose to make a business decision whether uh, before a playing decision. He could very well be tagged, but he wants his money now. And that's what the NFL, that's the difference between the National Football League opposed to NBA, Major League Baseball and hockey. The contracts are not guaranteed. You, they're structured as, as where you can get as much guarantee as possible, but except with the exception of, I think, Kurt Cousin and um, Deshaun, um, I can't think of his name up in Watson, Cleveland. Watson, course, yeah. yeah. Watson, you know, very few contracts are fully guaranteed, and obviously we know why, which, you know, I don't necessarily agree with, but we understand that because of the uh, risk of injury, it's highly more likely that a player will get hurt and not be able to fulfill it. So teams are reluctant to uh, guarantee. So when you look at constructing the the uh, team for next year, it's going to be difficult. And, you know, again, don't expect Joe Burrow to give the Bengals a hometown discount. If he does, he's going to piss the quarterbacks that's coming behind him off so bad because they rely on – quarterbacks like Burrow to push the market forward and up. And if he, he if he makes the market settle or even pushes it back, the Players Association would obviously be very, very disappointed in that as well as the guys that's coming behind him. So gonna be tough. And this this is great, Tom. We're talking about the byproduct of success. Yep. This is what we're talking about. When you win, your players get picked from, from uh, for uh, for other teams they want your players because they, your players are the one that made you in the AFC championship game, in the Super Bowl 
you know, one year ago. So, yeah, it's 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 a good problem. But consequently, yeah, you're not going to get the Jamar Chases, as the Buffalo Bills um, GM said. You're not going to get them in the draft because you're picking at the latter end of the draft now. So you know, it's going to get tougher and tougher. So now that's why the rich don't get richer in the NFL. The rich get poor and the poor get richer. And that's that, that's called parity. I, I want to get a circle back to something you just said there because we hear a lot of this uh, on our uh, show chat about that hometown discount thing for Joe Burrow. Okay, you, uh, among the many successful things you've done in your career, you spent a time as a player agent for a little while. And you talked about the ramifications that could take place with a players association or maybe agents of a – you know, Justin Herbert quarterback, who would pick anybody out there, right? And what the future contracts may look like. Um, did you ever have a client or, or would you be surprised? Let's put it this way. Would you be surprised if Joe Burrow walked into his agent and said, hey, look, uh, I'm an Ohio born and raised guy. Um, I, I like this coach. I like the town. I like the, the feel of the, of the direction of the franchise, where we're going. Um, I'm okay with a hometown, whatever, however you define that. I mean, you know, that could be the difference between $420 million or $500 million. Now, $75 million is a lot of money. But when you get to $425 million, I don't know if it's a hell of a lot of money anymore. I mean, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I'll never know that. But... You know, so when you say you don't expect him to do that, um, you, you think there's no chance he does something like that? There's always a chance, but what I would convey to my client, I would convey this. You got to look at the bigger picture. You must look at the bigger picture. You are affecting thousands of players with this decision. You may think you're going to help them sign two players, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, whatever. Fine, dandy, great. However, you are going to affect a whole lot of players that's coming behind you. So the Bengals have the money. If I'm his agent, I'm saying they have the money to pay you. Let them figure it out. And they will figure it out. You're probably not going to see T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, and Joe Burrow for very long. The window of opportunity it's closing. We knew that. We knew the, from the time they drafted um, Jamar Chase, and they're they're all three highly successful. And you got Joe Mixon in that. You, okay, guys, that's just the way it is. It is not some unspoken truth that if you're good, you're going to get paid. Look at, I, I, as an agent, I will give you the best example of if you look at T. Higgins, T. Higgins will make a choice. And I had this with a guy named Stacy Mack, where Stacy was forever going to be the backup to Fred Taylor in Jacksonville. Great running back. But Stacy could have played there with like, as I explained, it's like an annuity. You're going to be here the next five, six, seven, eight years. He was already in his fourth year at the time. Or you can go out there and roll a dice and go to the Houston Texans and become the starter. But with the starter becomes starter responsibilities. Well, in T. Higgins' case, well, he's going to want to be a number one guy. He's going to want to be the guy, not the guy that's held in the second regard. Remember, Tom, T. Higgins arguably could have been in and should have been in the Pro Bowl, but the reason he's not is because he has another guy, number one, on his team that's going to get more accolades than him just because of the way the PR worked. Okay, you may say fine, I may say fine, the fans may say great, 
But if you know T. Higgins, he has to be sitting there thinking, I don't want to be a number two guy my entire career. Yeah, I want to win. Yeah, I want to win a Super Bowl. But I want to be a number one guy. I want to be paid like a number one guy. He knows and understands, Tom, that when he's in meetings and they're delivering the game plan, he knows that the other team is focused more on Jamar Chase than him. And that would bother him for a certain period of time. You look at, go all the way back in time where the dinosaurs roamed the land and myself, Chris Collinsworth, and Eddie Brown was in the same meeting room. Yes, I knew one day I wanted to be a number one guy. First, Chris was the number one guy. Then Eddie was the number one guy. Then I was the number one guy. Everyone's going to want that, but we played in a system that didn't allow us to go from team to team to team. It happened toward the, in my seventh year of my career, but not in my fourth year career. So I just don't think, I think the Bengals can control certain aspects of it, but players can control certain aspects of it too. And, you know, to the people that, you know, that's out there more wishing that Joe Burrow will take a hometown discount, I just wouldn't count on that. All right, let me ask you this, though. The flip side of that, okay, the scenario that you just painted, have the Bengals now become a team, a destination team, which maybe you can argue is the first time in the history of the franchise, where, you know, there are other people on the outside looking in that say, okay, well, you know, um, say tight end. Okay, and, and uh, you know, whether or not they can get the deal done with Hayden Hurst or not, I don't know. But if you're a guy that's been around the league for a while, you know, you're just hoping for your next one-year contract in some cases, right? Do you think that there will be guys that say, hey, man, I want to go to Cincinnati. Uh, I might be getting near the end. I'd like the chance to play on a Super Bowl contending team, which I haven't done before. Maybe I got a taste of it one time my second year. Seven more years have gone by. Could that be working in the Bengals' favor on the flip side? I No, I don't think so. I, I think one number one is the perception that our beautiful, Cincinnati, our beautiful city of Cincinnati has. It's not a destination, um, say, driven place where people say, oh, I want to go to Cincinnati, say, like Miami, or I want to go to California because of my second career. I'm getting close to it, and I want to be in acting, or I want to do something in New York because of the opportunities in media. You know how that works. I've already made my money, if we're talking about at the latter part of my career. It is terribly blown out of proportion about the championship. People chasing championship rings doesn't happen in football as much as it, say, happens in basketball or baseball because there's too many variables that can't be controlled. So players don't necessarily look at that. If, when you're looking at the end of your career, yes, it would be great to play with a Joe Burrow. But let me remind you something, Tom. You look at some absolutely future Hall of Fame quarterbacks, starting with the quarterback that they just played yesterday. Patrick Mahomes, his number one guy, arguably the best wide receiver in the National Football League, left. He left, and he was still in the playoffs. Where did he go? Miami. I was just talking about that. You look at Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't have any receivers. His receiver left. You, you look at Tom Brady. Tom Brady's never had great receivers in their prime. He has yep. had Randy Boston. He has some very good ones, but he's never had these great wide receivers. So I just, when you sum it up and you look at it, general managers, yeah, they want, I remember, I got to go back. I remember I was Peerless Price's agent. And we were negotiating, I was negotiating with Scott Paoli for the, uh, the New England Patriots. And what they offered Peerless was the opportunity to come play with Tom Brady. 
And, you know, okay, great. I'm sitting there going, okay, this is fantastic. All right, send over the numbers. Send, send over what you, you know, what you're thinking. And when I got it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, like literally, it, we, we, peerless, we end up signing peerless, uh, what was it, six years, 36 million. And their offer was like something in the $8 million range. It wasn't even close. So, you know, players just don't value that in the NFL like they do in, say, per se, basketball again, or baseball, or, 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 or hockey. So the, the mentality is totally different. Cincinnati has a nucleus of players, very good players, championship caliber players, championship quarterback, no question about it. They're going to have to do it because at some point in time, the roster is going to explode. Tim, we can't thank you enough for your time, my friend, and, uh, and uh, thoughts and prayers with your aunt um, and uh, your whole family. And we can't thank you enough for being so generous with your time. I appreciate you having me, as always. The great Tom. Oh, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Tim McGee, kind enough to join us. <laughs> right, thank you. You know, it, it, it's so interesting here in that perspective. You know, from an agent standpoint, I think a lot of us, and believe me, I'm just as guilty as anybody else. I think a lot of us believe, and now look, he's not speaking for every single player, okay? He, he's not doing that. But he, he did bring perspective to, you know, a star player. He brought perspective to a young star player in Higgins and what might be going through his mind based on what he went through as a young star player with other guys around you that were looked at as the number one ahead of you, and now you want to be the number one guy, and am I going to take less in the hometown discount thing? What about being a destination for other players who might want to come win a Super Bowl? I thought that whole exchange was very interesting. Yeah, I agree with you, Tom. And I, I just don't put a ton of stock into the hometown discount thing. Like you said, I just, I just don't see it. I know that... You can point to some guys that have done it in other sports in years past. I mean, I, I think of one example, David West. He took a huge discount later in his career to go win a ring out there in Golden State. But there are so few and far between examples of guys that will do that to a scale. It's just not really anything that enters into my mind where these guys know that it's not just, like Tim said, it's not just – what you're earning it's that you're setting the precedent for everybody else so there's a lot that you got to keep in mind i just don't you bro's gonna get paid whatever he's gonna get paid and whether he gets paid this offseason or next offseason the contract negotiation is going to loom over everybody's head to the point where they know that he's going to command a ton of money so whether he gets paid now or later you're gonna build your team around the fact knowing you're going to pay him because there's no question that the Bengals are going to pay Right. They, they get the naming rights deal for the stadium. They've made it very clear that, the, that they are going to pay Joe whatever they need to pay him to keep him here for the long term. He and Zach Taylor will have as many chances to win a Super Bowl here in Cincinnati as they can get. Just the question becomes, what do you do with the pieces around Joe? Um, Tom, I will say it's 1140 right now. I see Rowdy every point with another super chat. That's yep. $7 from Rowdy today. Yep. Thank you. Thank you very much, Rowdy. Uh, Rowdy says Tom Brady gave discounts his whole career and made more. Um, I, I just don't, I just don't see it happen. I mean, maybe a little less here and there. If you can convince Joe that it's because you're getting, well, Hey, if we, if we take a little off the top or take an incentive off here to give to somebody, 
I just don't, I just don't see it. I, I don't see it in today's day and age. I don't see it, but I could be wrong. I'm not, I'm not an agent. I don't know. Um, yeah, and, and, and I'm surprised by some of the, the, the people in the chat. And look, you're entitled to your opinion. For all I know, you're going to be right. I don't know. Paul doesn't know. Tim doesn't know uh, what Burrow's thinking is going to be. He strikes us all as a kind of guy that you would think maybe he would consider it. But I don't know that. And, and, and people saying, well, Joe's going to do the right thing. Wh- what does that mean? Yeah. Seriously, what does that mean? The right thing? What? That, that, he, that if he has a chance to make a, a half a billion dollars that he doesn't do it? Is that the right thing? I don't know what the right thing is. I mean, this is generational, multiple generational wealth here that we're talking about. But look, I always try and put the shoe on the other foot. And some of you may be able to look me right in the eye and say, well, I know one thing. Uh, if I could make uh, $45 million instead of $55 million, I would do it for a chance to win a Super Bowl. And if that's the way you feel, then for you, you are right. But I think most people out there, if you want to put it into kind of real monetary, physical terms, okay, real world, right? Where if somebody offered you um, $80,000 and somebody else offered you $60,000, but they told you if you took the 60 that your, um, you know, 401k was going to be guaranteed to go higher and all those kinds of things. I don't know how many of you would take the 60,000. I don't know. For the betterment of the company, which is basically what Burroughs doing. He's saying for the betterment of the company, the company being the Bengals Inc. Okay. And their chances of winning a Super Bowl that it makes him doing the right thing or we, we would be mad at him for some reason if he wanted to, to hold a gun to their head down there i'm not gonna blame the guy let's um uh let, let, let's take one real quick break before we wrap it up well, is that okay well I, I i will say on the other side of this break i have trace reed and casey are in the all right they're, right. they're calling in so we'll take a break and well, we'll why come don't back. you start with them and then i'll be right back okay okay all right, go ahead. All right. ham all right. and eggers all right Fellas, let me see if I uh, hold on here just a second. Let me make sure we're all good. All right. We can hear you. I can hear you. Go ahead. We're here. What's up, we're Paul? here. All right. Uh, it's all yours. Let, let's get your thoughts here. I'll let Casey start. Casey seems – I'll let these two start, and then I'll share my thoughts on this. Um, quite clearly, uh, the, the Chiefs had a really great game plan attacking the right side. Uh, I had too much confidence in Sharping and Adinaji. Um They combined had five sacks and 16 total pressures, which was more than three-thirds or three-fourths of the, uh, the pressures combined for the game. Um, Joe Burrow was under duress the entire time. I thought he played better than Patrick Mahomes, all circumstances aside, but it just wasn't enough. Um, I thought the officiating was terrible, but I'm not going to use that to, to, to use it as an excuse for why the Bengals lost. Um, you take away the officiating, and I think it was still a pretty close game. Um, I thought they had fought really hard. Um, there was just a few plays here and there where the Bengals were just a little off. Um, 
Jesse Bates just not being able to cover Travis Kelsey, being a little too slow. Um, on that touchdown, there was the, the drop pass. Um, at least I thought it was a drop pass from Hayden Hurst. I couldn't quite tell, um, being told that it wasn't. Um, I don't think it was. But regardless, there was just a lot of different plays here and there where the Bengals could have capitalized. They weren't able to capitalize. And um, I'm not going to let officiating be the reason that lets the that gives us an excuse of why the Bengals lost. The Bengals lost because uh, coaching and just not being able to execute. The arrowhead's legit. The place is loud. It was loud. It was loud. It's big. Um, I had the same thought as you, Paul, that our guy nine got the ball twice with a tie score in the fourth quarter. And you just, because it has always happened where they've scored and they've won with Joe Burrow when he has that opportunity, that you just almost had overwhelming confidence that they were going to get it done. And both times didn't. And then the punt and the penalty. And then all of a sudden you're sitting there just like, how the hell it happened so quick? You're just looking up at the score. And it's like, how the hell did that just happen? We just had the ball 40 seconds ago. But yeah, that's, those are gut punches. Uh, I, I, go ahead, Paul. No, Tom, Tom's here. Gentlemen, nice to see you. I see you're hanging out with all the degenerates right now, no doubt, right? I'd say, I'd say so. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> go, go right. Um, yeah, yeah, we're we're here. Um, last night was tough. It was tough, especially considering the fact that I felt like the Bengals survived the first half. It felt like the first half the Bengals got outplayed. They, they, it felt like the game was almost out of hand at a certain few moments in that game where you're like, okay, if, if Patrick Mahomes scores right here, there's probably a good chance the Bengals aren't going to win this game. And they just, the defense found a way to get a stop every single time they kicked the field goal. You go into halftime and you feel like, like at least when I was there, it felt really good. Like you felt like you couldn't really be outmatched as much as you were in the first half and to look at the scoreboard and be where you're at. Yep. In the second half, it almost felt like the opposite where you had opportunities and then you just, it never, you never seized on those opportunities. And again, the officiating is the easy, it's the easy thing to point to, but I think it's also fair. Like, I, I think it's, I think it's reasonable to say that, that that was a big part of that game was some of the calls that either went for you or didn't go for you. Like, I thought Patrick Mahomes played really, really well. I'll give him credit. Uh, but I thought Joe Burrow, if anything, if you live in Cincinnati and you're a Bengals fan and you don't live in Cincinnati regardless, like Joe Burrow is that guy. Yeah. If you give Joe Burrow any time at all, guys, he makes the right play. Like, he just finds a way. That third and 16 play I thought was going to be one of the most defining moments of his career. It's a shame that that didn't turn out to be the case because there was a uh, the intentional grounding the very next play I think right yeah, like the very next play I, I, it's hard to remember when you're at the game and all this stuff but I don't know guys it just felt like yeah I mean you know I, I I look at I go back to and look Trace you guys know and Casey and Reed I mean look I, I have been highly critical at times I've also been highly complimentary at times of of Zach Taylor uh, as a play caller but you know. Uh, to me, it reared its ugly head again yesterday. Um, in, in the third and three, with two and a half to go, two timeouts, you need three first downs to kick a field goal. Mahomes never gets a ball back. You're going to win the game. 
I don't understand for the life of me how you're throwing the ball 30 yards down the field on a third and three, knowing now you're going to turn around and have to punt it. And then, look, you want to blame Darren Simmons, the, the, the special teams coordinator? That's fine. But it's just like you know a lot of things that go on in the course of a game. The head coach, and maybe it just wasn't executed on the field. I don't know. I didn't see anybody write about it. But almost as inexcusable, no, more inexcusable than the third and three call was the punt and a lack of directional punting and at least giving the player on the other team a chance to make a play, which he did. There is no way that guy can be allowed to catch the ball in the air in the middle of the field and have a chance to return the punt. They had one timeout left in the game, and there was going to be less than 50 seconds left. You cannot allow that to happen. Punting's been an issue for Cincinnati, not just for a while, for a while. Like, that needs to be addressed and fixed. I'm not saying that – I'm not saying all the decisions are being made because they're local guys and they want to keep that local flair and there's, like, some charismatic stuff to that. But I, I, would, I would tend to believe in the NFL that's not the case. You're going to go get the best guy you can get for the job. And, and leave it at that. It does help when you get, again, this is, I'm just saying how I believe it. I'm not trying to make excuses, Tom, but it does help when you get a block in the back on the left-hand side and you get you get an open run, open lane to run down the right-hand side of the field. And I'm yep. not trying to say that's the only reason. You need to punt the football high enough to where it's a fair catch or, like you said, directionally punt out of bounds. But you also can't just shove a guy that's a, that's a you know, running down, streaming down the, the uh, right, right side of the field or left side, depending on how you look at it, and it's exactly where he went. So, you know, they, the Bengals had a lot of things go wrong in the second half. And two things I want to bring up really fast that I don't know if you guys have brought up yet. This happens in football all the time, and it's unfortunate. But the Bengals drove right down the field during the, during the end of that second half and just ran out of time, right? They ran yeah. out of time. It was yeah. like first down at the eight-yard line, they ran out of time. You take that play or that situation – and you couple it with the fact that the Chiefs, give them credit, they had they had the audacity to go for it on fourth down, and they threw a touchdown to Travis Kelsey in the end zone. Those two things right there, that's that's you. I mean, there's a million plays, but those two things right there are so big momentum shifts that that's the difference in these games. Yeah, yeah, and, and the fact that the Bengals have been so good in the red zone all year long, and the and the two times they got inside the red zone in the first half. Uh, both of them were field goals rather than touchdowns. So are you guys having fun? Casey, did you say somebody hit your car intentionally? Yes. Um, we had a we were pulling out and by the way, Arrowhead Stadium leaving is a disaster. Yeah, it is, yeah. It yeah. is terrible. Yeah. Um, we were pulling out and we were in line and everyone's trying to leave, they're trying to get into this line. Well, this Ford van um, starts pulling in, and it is literally inching in as close as it can possibly go as we're inching our way forward. And it got so close that it actually hit our car, and he he put a he put a a, a paint scratch on the car. Um, it was able to be, you know. Did he talk to him? Yeah, we we talked to the guy, and the guy blamed us, of course. Big Chiefs fan. Big Chiefs guy. Big, big, big Mahomes guy. Yeah, that, those are the type hey, of fans. 
Chiefs guy. <laughs> You're a Chiefs guy. You got to be a Mahomes guy. But regardless, it, it was able to get buffed out. It wasn't a big damage or anything like that. But those are the types of fans that were there. Um, we were <laughs> all surrounded by good fans. Um, there was actually a Chiefs fan that bought us beer. All so, right. I, I, okay. It goes both ways. It goes both ways but... How many Bengals fans do you think were in there? Because it was tough to tell because the orange and the, and the yeah. red went yeah. yeah. together. That you couldn't really tell, but I, I'm not kidding you. If we were separated by a color more differently, probably a third of that stadium was Bengals fans. Yeah, people showed up to probably Burrow. a third. Yeah, it's tough. There wasn't really that many times where the Bengals fans could boast, though. It wasn't like right. there, there wasn't extended periods of time where Bengals fans we were able to really cheer the whole time. Yeah, I was, I was a little worried about Reed uh, when I saw the picture of his knuckle. I was a little worried that he had actually gotten into a brawl because I, I don't think I'd want to be brawling with Reed Mouse. No. I don't think so. So I heard that at the College Basketball Hall of Fame, which we went to in the morning. have no idea how, how it happened. We're walking out, and my hand's just bleeding. So I take a picture, and then after tailgating for a few hours, I'm like, ah, I'll have some fun on the internet. And I said, I'm undefeated in fights against Chiefs fans, which isn't a lot. I've never lost a fight against a Chiefs fan, Tom. I'm not and surprised. It is horrible. Not surprised one bit. So now you guys, you sit around, you you have a, a thirty-one beers in a casino all day. Probably a bad weather day outside. You don't have to go to the basketball game until tomorrow night. Paul, you and I are here working, by the way. Hey, where do you want to go to lunch, Tom? Yeah, is that what's going on here today? Well, you said it's a bad weather day. I don't know if you know this about Kansas City. They don't have any good weather days. That's why, that's why they're so miserable. <laughs> Kansas City misery right now. <laughs> but, yeah, it's probably the game. 31 beers, 30 might be low balling it. Red or black, Tom? Going with red all the way. Going with the red. Okay. Put it down. All right. Jeez, all right. Boys. Give it a shot. Thanks for checking in. We'll find out what's happening, I'm sure, again tomorrow with any luck at all. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Well, yeah, we'll see what kind of condition they're in. Because they got a basketball yeah. game to go Probably tomorrow night. Probably bad. Bad shape tomorrow. Well, Tom, you going okay. out to lunch with, with Paul? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not. No, no. No, no. But Paul has done a great Paul, job Paul, here. Right. And, um, you know, I'd be I'd be a little worried about some of you coming back in and, and expecting to get your quote unquote job back after an injury. Because <laughs> Paul has been on his game here today. So no uh, guarantees, well, man. Honest, honest to goodness truth, Paul. When I turned on the, the stream today at like whatever time it was, right when it was starting, I had a about a ninety-five percent chance in my brain that there was a good chance that you weren't going to, be able to hear anybody or see anybody. The fact that you got this show off the ground and it's ran all day today, for the most part, pretty good. You got people complaining about sound levels; they have no idea what's going on. They're complaining about sound levels. Like we got bigger fish to fry. But nonetheless, you did a great job. Good job. Good job, guys. Great job. Great job, men. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Safe travels, uh, Paul. Uh, Look, but you're on, you're on your game. I can't thank you enough. Uh, we were ribbing you last week. You know, were you going to be able to, to to stand up to the challenge? And you've answered the bell. Hey, credit to Casey. Casey, uh, he came in here last week, and he uh, he gave me a full tutorial. And, you know, usually I sit over here to the right, and uh, he came in here. We ran through it on Thursday. And then I said, you know what, Friday, we ran through everything again. And uh, 
Honestly, good for Casey because Casey's the only one that sat here and done this. Trace has done it twice, uh, once from home and once sitting here. But yes. I've been telling Casey, man, if he gets the flu or something, somebody's got to be able to run the show. So, um, yeah. We, no, it was good today. I know the uh, I know the audio levels were a little off, but there were about uh -huh. 18 million things going on here that I was trying to balance as well. So hopefully tomorrow we can get into the weeds of the audio and you all bared with us today. You were on your game, Paul. We tried. On your game. So thank you. Uh, did you have time for a cherry on top or no? Um, no is the answer. Don't worry about it. Not, cherry on not top. a great one. Cherry on top is to thank all of you. Look, uh, you know, Paul and I were talking uh, off the air um, and we're wondering, you know, now with the Bengals out, I mean, going back to when this show debuted basically at the start of September, it's been all Bengals all the time. Uh, and especially the way the season, you know, once a shaky start, rip off 10 in a row, um, and off they go in the playoffs. They win two playoff games, AFC Championship. Now the season is over. Obviously, there's more to talk about in the ensuing days and weeks to come as we get close to the draft and all those kind of things. But football is king. I mean, it is king. And yeah, we'll talk a little bit about the Super Bowl coming up, blah, blah, blah. But our show now needs to start, you know, sort of evolving into what's the next thing. And so... You know, college basketball is going to be front and center for a lot of people where it's, you know, been, except for Paul, been off in the, the back burner uh, for, you know, most of the country with all the way the football season has gone, both college and pro. Um, we have two weeks off before the Super Bowl. So, you know, we're going to start getting into diving into some of the, the basketball issues. We're going to start diving into looking ahead to baseball and trying to round up some of the people around the league that uh, be able to you know, sort of help us get ready for pitchers and catchers reporting. And, um, and of course, we'll be following everything that goes on uh, with the Bengals as they have some decisions to make. So, Paul, thank you, my friend. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it, Tom. And, and this was fun today. We'll be back tomorrow. I don't know if Seho is going to the game with them or not or if he's coming back today. He said he was getting in the car. I don't know if that was to meet with the Chatterbox crew or if he's coming back tomorrow. I don't know. It may just be you and me tomorrow and Wednesday as well. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I made the point to you about we were talking before we came on the air today about what this show is going to look like without the Bengals because this show debuted on September 1st and it, it went hit the ground running with college football and, and with the NFL and with college and everything else. Uh, but I, I made the point to you, Tom, like with the connections that you have and, and the experience that you have, you, you could – you could damn near do the best daily baseball show that there is here out on the market right now with, with all the connections and everything that you have. And, and you know that we'll have as much college basketball content as you want to and the people want to yep. hear and, the, and everything with the connections I have and can bring to the table from college basketball. So, yeah, we're cruising. We don't have the Bengals anymore, but uh, I'm sure that we'll have James Rapine and some of the others this week to put a full capper on the Bengals season and to wrap up a lot of those things. And, uh, you know, it's just – that's just how sports talk works. It morphs into everything else. So we'll be we'll be good to go, and we appreciate every single person that has listened all season long. Um, everybody that's joined in in the chat. We got 150 people in here now. We had almost 300 people listening today concurrently. And look, I mean, we started this, Tom. We were back there in October. If we had 50 people in here, it was a good day. And now we're averaging, you know, 200, 250 yep. a day. So yep. um, it's just how it's evolved, and we appreciate everybody that was along for the ride. Absolutely, and uh, even watching in Chillicothe, Ohio. Matthew, thank you. Uh, all the way out in California. Um, Alexandria. 
says it's time to get ready for FCC Cincinnati. We can do we that. We have that too. That too. Okay. Uh, thank every one of you. Everett says it kind of feels like the last day of school. It's not the last day of school. We're going to be here tomorrow. Good Lord willing, the day after that. Keep grinding along. Try to do the best we can for you. Give you an option for something at 10 o'clock in the morning. If you're able to be with us live or something later in the day, if you're podcasting with us, whatever it might be, we're going to be right here off the bench presented by United Dairy Farmers. Have a great rest of your Monday. Try to keep your spirits up. Try to keep your spirits up. The sun will come out tomorrow. Wasn't that from the musical Annie, I believe? The sun will come out tomorrow. Have a great day.